Amen. Well, it's been great to be here together already. Hope that you've enjoyed our time singing, reading the word. What a wonderful time it is each and every year to read the Christmas story from Luke chapter two, one of my favorites as well. We will actually read that again this evening. Want to invite you back to our Christmas Eve service at five o'clock this evening. We're going to read the four songs from Luke's gospel, and we'll have brief reflections and meditations and songs based on those four songs. So we do hope that you'll join us again tonight. And so welcome, if you're visiting here with us, we're so glad that you're here. Whether it's your first time here, or maybe first time in a long time, we are just glad that you have come today. The holidays, I always say, are kind of like the tides around here. They have a tendency to bring some people in and to take some people out. So it's always just a joy to see who is able to be here with us on these holiday weekends. So we're so glad that you are here. We also believe it's by divine appointment that you're here this morning. We believe that the Lord has assembled this particular group of people for this particular time, and we just rejoice to see what the Lord's going to do with that and do with his truth this morning. So we are going to be uh, not in any one particular text this morning, which is certainly something not typical for us. We're going to be developing a theme and really just one word, and that is the idea of peace. What does it mean to be at peace? What does it mean that Christ is the Prince of Peace? Our typical pattern, if you're new here to the Sunrise family, our typical pattern would be to take a book of the Bible and we go verse by verse, sometimes word by word, through a book, and it takes us quite a while sometimes. I believe we, we are going through the Gospel of Luke, typically on Sunday mornings, and I believe last week was the 27th, song, uh, 27th sermon from the Gospel of Luke, and we're just into chapter 7, so if that gives you an idea. Uh, we do take our time walking through books of the Bible. But this morning, we're just going to offer some reflections. This will have a little bit more of a devotional type of flavor, and it will be mercifully shorter for those of you who have youngins amongst us and are, uh, have holiday plans for the day. So we recognize the day, and we are just so glad that you're here to celebrate with us. I want to start out with the great prophecy from Isaiah 9, Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Before I read that, I want to just give you just a minute of context for how this particular verse comes to us. This is written some 700 years or so before the time of Christ's birth. So 700 years before, that's a long time. Historically speaking, that's a very long time, much longer and much older than our country even. And so Isaiah is looking forward to a time when one would come and the government would be on his shoulders and he would be called the Prince of Peace. At this point in history, Israel is anything but peaceful. It's a bit of a mess. You might remember that the kingdom of Israel has split into two, so we sort of have a civil war of sorts that keeps flaring up from time to time. But not only that, they have outside invaders as well. And so this is written to the northern kingdom from the perspective of the northern kingdom, and it's written just before the northern kingdom is going to fall, and they would fall to the Assyrians. And in the spirit of Christmas, I think sometimes when you read the Old Testament prophets, I picture it a little bit like George Bailey going on his trip when the angel is, angel Clarence, allows him to see what would the world be like without you, and they go to Pottersville. This is from It's a Wonderful Life. If you haven't watched It's a Wonderful Life, we'll have to talk later, but... They go to Pottersville, and you see, this, you see this world that's just devoid of hope, it's dark, it's broken, and a lot of times when you read the Old Testament prophets, you feel like you're living in Pottersville. We need something to come deliver us from this. And so it's in this context that this prophecy is spoken, that there's going to be one who's going to come, and he's going to be incredible, outstanding, look at this. 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and there's much to speak of here, but we just want to talk about the Prince of Peace today. The Prince of Peace. So that was the ancient world in the 700s BC, before Christ is born. Let's fast forward now into the time when Christ is born. Maybe a little while since some of you were in history class, especially ancient history, and my kids, some of them at least recently studied this. During the time of Christ's birth, there was something going on in the Roman Empire into which Christ was born called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. And so we, Jesus is born into a time of relative peace and tranquility. Historians have labeled this time the Pax Romana. It's a period of time, roughly 200 years, a little bit more, marked by Augustus, Caesar Augustus, and then ending around Marcus Aurelius' reign in 180 AD. So around a 200-year period that's marked by relative peace. Now, when we say relative peace, we know that there were still conflicts and turmoil, but the Roman Empire is spreading like crazy, and the way that you have peace is they're too big to attack. Nobody wants to take them on. They're giants at this point, and it would take many, many years before the empire breaks down. It would last for centuries. Many people have pointed out that in God's sovereignty, it was during this time that Christ was born into the relative peace and security of the Roman Empire. This isn't, of course, by accident. It was amazing. This is what allowed Rome to grow so fast, so incredible at the time. It's a lot easier to do things like build roads when you're not under attack from enemies. Most people aren't concerned necessarily with that when you've got an army at the gate. And so this peace allowed the Roman Empire to expand like crazy. You've heard about the Roman roads. They're, of course, legendary. I started needling into this a little bit and thought, well, we can't do a full history lesson this morning on the Roman roads, but it's really fascinating, especially those of us who live and have to drive on roads that are under construction. And they're under construction for like 100 years, um, it seems like. Any of my friends on San Pablo? Yeah, yeah, or driven 9B. It's, uh, it's incredible. The, they built roughly 50,000 miles of these Roman roads. Now, that's incredible, 50,000 miles. Quick question, how many miles of interstate? Does anybody know how many miles of interstate there are in the United States? A little over 48,000 miles, so right at 49. That's how incredible the Roman Empire was at this point. So it's this dominant world power, relative peace and tranquility and security. This is a Roman road in Kavala, Greece. These are all over the place, and they're just, they're kind of butted up against buildings now, and it's like the ancient meets the modern. It's just incredible to see. I couldn't help but run down there when I saw this uh, Roman road so I could walk on the Roman road. It looked something like this. This is a map a little bit later, and of course, I know you can't see all the detail of that, but all the little lines, those are the Roman roads, and you can see the relative scale of what was going on. So this was the time that Jesus was born into. But of course, we know it's a mixed time as well. It's time also when Herod is issuing decrees to have infants killed. It's a time when rebellions are put down by incredible force and incredible brutality. So this peace of Rome may be a little bit of a misnomer. It wasn't all peaceful. It wasn't all happy. 
Yes, they were at peace as far as wars from outside, but the Prince of Peace was born into a time of conflict as well, and particularly internal conflict with the Romans and the Jews. So let's talk about this peace and what was going on. As we look at Christ, the Prince of Peace, first thing I want to do is define the idea of biblical peace. What do we mean when we say peace? What do we mean? It's two things, and both of these pieces are really important. We'll talk about this throughout. It's the absence of conflict and the presence of what we'll call rightness. Absence of conflict and presence of rightness. If you look in the Old Testament, the word shalom, or if you Maybe if you're uh, Jewish at a Messianic uh, congregation that believes that Jesus is Messiah, maybe you've worshiped at one of those, or in a regular synagogue as well, it's the typical greeting, shalom. It's how are you, but it's much more than how are you. We say how are you a lot of times, but it's kind of rhetorical, right? When you ask somebody how are you, a lot of times we don't actually really want to know. (laughs) Like like, how long you got? Um, Want to know how I am? Pull up a chair. We don't necessarily mean that. Shalom, what's it mean? It means peace in the sense of absence of conflict, but it's much, much more than that. It has the idea of completeness, of wholeness, of flourishing even, of fulfillment. You could use the word shalom in the Old Testament. It's used sometimes of building a wall, When the wall is completed, it is shalom. It's fulfilling its purpose. It's right. It's whole. It's as it's supposed to be. If you wronged your neighbor and you wanted to make restitution for the wrong that you had done to him, you shalom him. You bring things back to rightness, peace, conformity, the way it's supposed to be. So let's take that concept and let's think about Jesus as the prince of peace, Not only does he come to bring in an absence to cease conflict, he also comes to make things right and whole. Now with that, we're going to apply this in three different areas. So these are really three reflections on this idea of peace. First of all, we have peace with God. Next, peace with others. And then lastly, peace within, or we could say the peace of God. Peace with God, peace with others, and then peace within. Let's look at how this works. So our definition of peace, it's the absence of conflict and the presence of rightness. Let's talk about the peace that's been made with God. This is the best news that you're going to hear all day long. Peace with God. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Romans 5 and verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall be saved by his life. Just want to give you a few simple reflections on this truth. Number one is this. You were not at one point in your life at peace with God. We hear this sometimes, and I know many people, well-intentioned perhaps, would say something like, I was born a Christian, 
Well, biblically and theologically speaking, I understand what you may mean by that. You might mean that you were born into a Christian home. You might mean that you were taught the gospel from a very early age. You might even mean that I can't remember a time when I didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. You, you might mean those things, and I completely get it, and I understand what you mean by that. But you weren't born a Christian, you were born an enemy of God. That's the biblical testimony. This is what Paul says. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We weren't at peace with God. Our default setting is against God. Now, that might sound calling yourself an enemy of God. Like, come on, man, Christmas Eve. Why you gotta be talking about all that? I understand. But this is important for us to get and understand. Enemy of God, I think most people, at least most people that I talk to, would recognize they're not perfect. Most people would recognize, you know, mistakes were made. We hear these like corporate apologies kinds of things. Mistakes were made, things happened, people were hurt. It's always passive, right? It's not, I did this and I'm responsible for this. There's sort of this passive yeah, maybe I'm not perfect, but who is, right? That's not exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying, no, you are an enemy of God. The verse just before this and said, we were deserving and under his wrath. This is serious, serious stuff. So if we're gonna talk about peace, we need to talk about the conflict that comes before the peace. We can't just ignore that. So we were not at peace with God. Next, you can be at peace with God. As the verse just said, it's through the death of his son. Colossians 1.20, I'll just read this one for us. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, how? By the blood of his cross. There's a peace deal that's being offered, and it's through Christ. Christmas is always a time for us to reflect, obviously, on the coming of the Messiah, on Jesus being born, but it's also a time for us to look forward to what he's going to do in the rest of the gospel story as well. He came to live a perfect life and to die a sinner's death so that he can defeat death, so that he can offer these terms of peace now to you, so that you can be at peace with God. How do we take advantage of this peace deal? We admit that we're sinners and that God is a great savior, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and we commit ourselves to following him. That's how we take advantage of this peace deal that's being offered to us. And then lastly, just want to note, this peace arrangement is permanent. This is a glorious truth. How many conflicts do we see going on around the world, even right now, and they'll have some sort of a peace deal in place, and then somebody breaks the terms of the peace deal, and then new negotiations have to start taking place? Don't think of your relationship and how you relate to God in that way. He's not gonna change the terms. He's not a moody tyrant that's gonna change things on you and say, well, I said this, but now I want this from you. That's not how this works. You don't have to renegotiate this. Peace is offered through Christ. It's great news. Let's move on. So if we have this vertical, we'll call it peace with God. Now, how should that impact and affect the way that we relate to others? Peace with others. Two senses in which we could talk about this, nationally and then individually. Nationally, we won't say much about this. We know that in many places right now, we need the Prince of Peace. 
We need peace, and we pray for peace. We hear a lot about the two significant wars going on right now in Ukraine and Russia and uh, uh, Ukraine and also in Israel. We hear about those, but you should also know, according to the Geneva Academy, accessed this week, there are currently 115 armed conflicts going on all around the world, many of which are in Africa. Middle East and North Africa, 45. Africa proper, 35. Asia, 21. Europe, 7. Latin America, 6. Different conflicts. Tracks these. These are places in the world where humans are being killed actively by other humans. And they're fighting over a variety of different things. Let us pray for peace. Let us pray for the Prince of Peace and for the gospel to reign. In the spirit of this, we want... Every year we have an offering, our Christmas Eve offering, and we designate it to a particular ministry. This year we're doing something a little different. Um, We're going to designate our Christmas Eve offering to three different places, um, to Haiti, which is experiencing incredible turmoil, not in the war sense, but incredible inner turmoil, um, Israel and Ukraine. So we're going to split the Christmas Eve offering to ministries that are ministering in those three places, just if you would like to know about that. So peace with others then. So we talked about this national, and many of us, you look at some of the national things that are going on, and it's discouraging, and you might think, I can't really do much about that though. Maybe I can give, maybe I can help in some way. But you're thinking, you know, I'm just trying not to snap at my aunt this week who has way too many opinions about how I live my life. That's all I'm trying to do. Just, just trying to stay at peace. I don't know where that landed with anybody, but it wasn't directed. <laughs> Promise. I'm just, I'm just trying to kind of survive the holidays without, you know, blowing up Christmas lunch or dinner. I'm just, we're just... We're just trying to kind of like keep the peace in the house. Like, yeah, I know there's 115 armed conflicts going on around the world, but like my house, like how do we manage this? Let's make it very, very real. The Bible says a lot actually about peace and about peacemakers. And just a couple of thoughts here on this. Peacemaking should be a priority. Matthew 5, you know this verse. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed, happy, fortunate, good. Blessed are the peacemakers. Hebrews 12, 14. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace. So strive, it's an active word. Work hard to be at peace. And then Romans 14, 19 So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So peacemaking should be a priority for each of us, all right? We need to remember, though, the two parts of peace. Remember our two parts of peace? We're talking about the absence of conflict and the presence of rightness or wholeness. There's different ways that we could talk about this, I really enjoy and I've been helped by Ken Sandys. Uh, He's written a number of different books on this, the peacemaking, peacemaking for churches, peacemaking for families. It's kind of a, uh, a whole movement of these peacemaking types of things. He uses this paradigm and he talks about this. He talks about peacemaking is in the middle and then there's peace faking on one side and peace breaking on the other. 
So let's start with peace breaking. These are people always causing problems, agitating folks, argumentative, maybe overly confrontational. People that I like to say have the spiritual gift of problem causing. Just seem to always, just can't let things be. Let's just stir something up. These are peace breakers. On the other end, though, we have peace fakers. These are people that I'm fine. I'm fine. You're fine. We're fine. Everybody's just fine. Now, I've got this thing that you did to me 25 years ago that still bothers me, like, a lot, and it's right under the surface, and it's going to cause me to be slightly passive-aggressive whenever we interact, and I kind of know that you're getting it, and you kind of know that I'm, get, I'm putting this out, but we're not really ever going to talk about it, all right? That's peace faking. It's, a, it's sort of a faux peace. It's like, yeah, we're not at each other, but it's not really biblical definition of peace, absence of conflict, and the presence of rightness. In the middle is the hard work of actual peacemaking. This is the real hard work, working through differences, often choosing to let things go for the sake of peace, but sometimes lovingly, carefully, walking through and dealing with differences. And I think this is where we need to put a lot of our thought and energy into true peacemaking, absence of conflict, but the presence of rightness as well. One other note on this, peacemaking. I think Romans 12, 18 is a really important verse. It says this, if possible, important words, if, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, what are the implications of that verse? If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. There's some people that just aren't gonna let you be at peace. You do everything that you can do, which, by the way, if you read that verse in its context in Romans 12, is quite a bit. So don't just run to this and go, ah, I tried, never mind. It, no, 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 read that verse in its context, digest that in your soul, and then if you can honestly, with a clear conscience, come out and say, I've done everything I could possibly do to be at peace, and they won't let me be at peace. So be it. It happens. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So we're talking about the true Prince of Peace who's come. We can have peace with God. We don't have to be God's enemies anymore. We can be on his team through the terms that he's offered through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. We can now have peace with others at a national level, but then also, and importantly for us this morning, at an individual level, we can pursue actual real peace. Let's talk about this peace within, or we could say the peace of God, experiential peace. I can't tell you how many advertisements, emails, texts, different headlines that I see over the past, I'll call it five years, it's probably way before that, but since I've been paying attention a little bit more to this, different products, different services that are dealing with stress and anxiety. I've heard the most common time to have a heart attack is this time of year. Is that any wonder? I think between, well, one, it's probably not helping what we eat this time of year. That's probably a factor. But then the second part is the stress, the stress that's, that's caused by this time of year. I think that this is not necessarily something new, dealing with stress and anxiety. 
And I think if, we, if I were to ask many of us this morning, like, tell me what's going on in your heart. Would you say it's the absence of conflict and the presence of rightness? I think many of you would say, no, no, it's, it's a little bit more of a mess than that. Um, it's turmoil. It's these thoughts of self-loathing and doubt, and my mind is racing, and I'm replaying conversations that I had from nine years ago with somebody, and I... And it's just this constant stream. And so I think many people are not experiencing necessarily what we're talking about here, this absence of conflict, presence of rightness. So we don't have time to take apart all of this today, but I just want to offer some encouragement. I think many, almost inexplicably, like defying explanation, you see the world around you, you know what's true, but there just seems to be a barrier between what you know is true and what you feel in your heart. And you're just desperately looking for a bridge to get those things to connect. I, I, I think there's many people in that situation this morning. Let me just remind you of some of the things that Jesus said. Great promises. John 14. As we jump into John 14, you should know Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It's what's known as the upper room discourse. It's this final sort of reflection and instruction for his disciples before the events of the crucifixion. He says this to them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is a group of people about to walk into some really, really tough stuff. Uh, Jesus is going to be crucified. All of the apostles would end up being martyred with the exception of John, who's exiled to the island of Patmos. Now, please know, this doesn't mean that they're going to have an easy road. Jesus instructs them in this a little bit later. John 16, 33. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. So let's just be clear. You're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Now, how do we make this connection? Jesus is offering you peace. I don't think he was kidding. I I think this is a genuine offer of peace for us in our own hearts. Pastor friend of mine was joking one time about counseling, and he said, there's basically three steps. What's your problem? What's the Bible say? And why are we still talking? Now, he was kidding. That's not good biblical counsel, is it? Because we do need some help. We need to be, keep being reminded of these things. Does that work for you? Well, here's what, the, here's what the verses say. Go deal with it, buddy. That, that's not helpful. But we do need to be reminded of these things. You are at peace with God. You're not an enemy anymore. Jesus did say not to be anxious. He did give his peace. God is sovereign over all things. So... I think we should strive for peace and to not be anxious. I was reading John Piper on this, and he said this. He's reflecting on some similar ideas to what we've been talking about here. He says, I can read my Bible. I can accumulate evidences in my soul, and I am still irrationally tormented. You wouldn't be able to just use your minds and make computations about what you hear. So his advice is this. Listen to the preacher. That's always good advice. That was my part. Listen to all the verses. 
mount up the evidences, and then I love this, and pray down the miracle. (laughs) Mount up all the evidences, pray down the miracle. This is what we're here to do this morning. We're here to line up all the evidences. He is the Prince of Peace. He has made a way for you to be at peace with him. He does give us the capacity and instructions on how to be at peace with others. So now you can experience this peace of God internally because you have peace with God. I'll leave you with this last verse. We started out looking at Isaiah. Another verse from Isaiah that's so helpful. And remember, they are about to face an invading army who meant no goodwill towards them at all. They were going to come in. They were going to destroy their cities. They were going to take many of them away. People were going to be killed. This is war. Isaiah says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Yeah, there's an army coming. Things are going to get bad. But you, you in the midst of that, even in the midst of that, you can experience true peace in your own souls. The final dimension of this peace is worth noting, and that's the peace when Christ returns one day. It's a time this Christmas season for us to reflect on his coming, on his work, and then on his return as well. The last song that we're going to sing, I asked David to sub in this song. I do that to him occasionally. He's always very kind to oblige me. We're going to sing Joy to the World, which is a song about the coming of Christ. But if you'll note in Joy to the World, what you get is a lot of tones and notes about the peace that has come, the joy that has come, but then also it's an already not yet element. There is joy to the world now, but we need to understand there's a greater joy when the curse is completely reversed. So this inbreaking of the Prince of Peace, the kingdom that he's established, and then the hope that we look forward to one day when he returns. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for an opportunity to be together here today. And Lord, we take these promises seriously that the Prince of Peace has come. Lord, we recognize that many even in here would readily admit that they find inside themselves sometimes it doesn't look like a peaceful, tranquil lake in their own hearts. It looks more like the ocean when a nor'easter is approaching. It's a bit of a, it's a bit turbulent. And so Lord, we pray that you would help us. We pray that we would pray this down, that we would experience the peace and joy that you give us through Christ. Lord, even in the midst of trials and difficulties, persecutions, we pray that we would lay hold to these promises. Lord, maybe there's some in here this morning and maybe they've never taken even that step of recognizing that they are enemies of God, that they are not on his team, on your team. Lord, I pray that you would use your word Show us our need for Christ today. We praise things in Christ's name. Amen.